Welcome back to Build and Learn. My name is CJ. And I'm Colin. And today we are talking about submitting talks to conferences and uh, maybe a little bit of what happens once you get your talk accepted. Awesome. So I, we've both spoken a lot. I don't know. Like, I feel like both you and I have kind of like gone in. We've done talks at a lot of different places, um, but mostly meetups. I think both you and I have like shared the stage at several meetups in Reno for sure. But yeah, like you recently spoke at RailsConf. I'm excited to dig into that. But before we get into RailsConf and submitting talks to conferences, I watched yesterday, I watched the Laracon online conference, which was like a 10 hour video basically on YouTube. <laughs> and when I started watching it, they, d they didn't have the chapters in the description. So I was like kind of just scrolling through and watching as much as I could. And gosh, Laravel has some really cool stuff that Rails just does not have or does not have like first class support for. So yeah, there I'll was a bunch of really out. cool stuff. That's yeah. interesting. So is that how they, did they have a in-person version or was it just online? It was all online this time, as far as I can tell. Okay. Yeah. Have you played with Laravel at all? I have not. My only PHP experience is WordPress. And I think I need to fix that because I've heard really good things about it. I think it's, I'll have to check out that video and maybe zoom through some to some of the interesting parts. Well, there's a really great thing that they announced during the like keynote that Taylor gave. And that is this Laravel bootcamp. So at bootcamp.laravel.com, there is like a, a guide that you can walk through. Oh, nice. And you basically rebuild Twitter and chirps and stuff, but it uses Inertia.js, which apparently has support for both Rails and Laravel. Um, and it's kind of hot wire-y where you basically kind of like render something on the back end with the Inertia library, and then you can pick it up on the front end. Hmm. But the bootcamp, it takes like an hour and a half or so to run through it, and you go from scratch to kind of like knowing how to do basic crud with Laravel. So yeah, it's fun. It's cool. It's it's so wild to see how much they have built in. They have this thing called mail hog that will like intercept mail that's going out and you don't have to use a gem for that. They also have tooling for all of these event notification things, not just email. They've got like built in, yeah, built in PubSub, built in tooling for authentication with Laravel Breeze and so yeah, it's 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 fun to play around with and just see, you know, where Laravel's got cooler stuff than Rails and where Rails really shines. Because there's definitely mm -hmm. some developer experience things that Rails has that that Laravel is missing out on still. But yeah, it's kind of fun to compare and contrast. So That's cool. Yeah, this is going to be a little bit weird because this episode is not going to come out for weeks. But this weekend is also a Rails hackathon around like kind of hotwire focused themes. So I'm thinking about just kind of hacking on something, not necessarily competing as much as just I haven't touched anything Hotwire or Turbo Frames or any of that kind of stuff. So it sounds cool, but I haven't even touched that before I even start looking at things like Inertia. And I love how a lot of the stuff that's happening in the development world is going back to like just HTML, mm -hmm. you know, on the wire, which is great. So totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, I think that hackathon was like Rails hackathon or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's railshackathon.com. So they'll probably, I think Chris from GoRails set this up for potentially having future hackathons, but you know, maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode, how it went. I've got a few ideas for things to kind of tinker with just as learning exercise and we'll see how that goes. Cool. Yeah, it looks like at the very bottom of that landing page too, you can sign up to get notified about future hackathons. So yeah, 
Nice. Yeah. Turbo, like turbo and stimulus and like all of the hot wire stuff has been really interesting. I definitely don't feel super, super comfortable with it yet. And I know there's a lot more to it, but it definitely is, seems pretty powerful. So yeah. where might you learn more about those things, CJ? Yeah. Stimulus or, I mean, I don't know if you want to watch my YouTube channel about me stumbling through <laughs> this. <laughs> well, I was kind of, kind of setting you up there for a, maybe a conference you might go to or oh. something gives a nice talk on it. It might be a good way to, <laughs> to jump in there. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, so there, I think there's probably lots of talks about stimulus and hot waters, but yeah, if you want to come to RubyConf in Houston in November, that is going to be, it'll be really fun. There's actually a couple different versions of RubyConf happening. There's a RubyConf mini that's mid-November. And then there's a RubyConf, like the, I don't know, the bigger one is happening end of November, which mm -hmm. like surprisingly, I got a talk accepted. So yeah, super, super pumped to go talk about how we generate client libraries at Stripe, specifically like the Ruby client library, but others. I think I, I did like a super short lightning talk at one of the DevReno meetups about this. You did, and you kind of melted everybody's brain. So I'm very excited to see the video of this talk when it comes out. Why then, let's just to jump into the topic, like why are you looking to talk about that at RubyConf? And maybe what are the general reasons that someone might want to speak at a conference? So, yeah, that's a, I mean, for me, it's there's like a whole bunch of different reasons for my job. It's important that I go and speak at conferences. As a developer advocate, we want to make sure that people are aware of Stripe. And so as part of that, I can go and speak at conferences. I'm also just really, really excited about the tooling that we have for SDK generation. And because it's this private internal thing that we use uh, and it's not open source and it's not public, it's really hard for me to go and like scream about it from the rooftops and like tell people about it without being able to go speak about it in, the, in public. So it's a thing that I'm really excited about. And yeah, I think it's also like uh, a tool that we've learned a lot of lessons from that hopefully the community can pick up and learn from. And then there's like also selfish reasons, right? Like I want, I, I, I want people to like come and watch my YouTube channel and like right. know about the stuff that I'm putting out. And so, yeah, like growing an audience. But what were some of the reasons that you did your talk at RailsConf? Yeah. So I think for me, it's a lot of just sharing like what I've learned. So I think We'll talk about it a little bit more, but you don't necessarily have to be like a super senior or expert in your field to do one of these talks. It's more of like, hey, we had this problem. This is how we fixed it. Hopefully, you know, whoever watches that talk will now, you know, be able to, to learn from that. And so, you know, sharing hard won learnings and then, yeah, like I think similarly meeting other people, I would say like if you're intimidated by introducing yourself to people getting up on stage and giving a talk is going to make people know that like, Hey, CJ is giving a talk on this thing. If you didn't know CJ before, now, you know, CJ and right. And so people might come ask you questions afterwards and it's just a good, like jumping off at the same time. If it's your first conference experience, probably just go and see how it is and watch the talks and, and figure out like if this is something you'd want to do. But yeah, I think like it's pretty rewarding to get up and be able to share something that you've been working on, especially if it's something you've been thinking about for a really long time, like, you know, the SDK generation for you, for me, I've been dabbling in integrations and APIs for so long, and I feel like it's all like trapped in my head and I needed to get it out. And, you know, there's only so much I get to talk about it at work. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, being able to have other people listen to me and, and learn something from it because it's, you know, 
10 plus years of APIs that we can hopefully share that with other people. And, you know, what's really cool too now is that there are getting more and more niche conferences for this thing. There's like open API spec conferences where we can geek out on the spec itself instead of like more high level stuff all the way down to SAS and microconf and language specific or framework specific conferences. So I think those are all pretty exciting to, to check out. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. We definitely have similar overlap in terms of why we want to speak at conferences. I think one other reason that I've heard is that if you're a super small startup and you're looking to hire people, then I've often seen CTOs go and give talks to help build the brand around mm-hmm. or like build like, yeah, the talent, the engineering talent brand so that then people are like, oh, whoa, that's super cool. I want to go work for that person because right. they're doing really interesting work. So Yeah, I would argue that's the case even for Stripe, right? Like when I see Shopify or Stripe or certain companies talk about how they things work inside, you know, even if it's not a public gem or a public service, some people are, you know, you'll be like, I want to work with stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to work with people like that. And so it can really help with that. I know we did that pretty early on at Orbit. We had some orbiters speak at conferences. I think we had some people at Sin City Ruby and RubyCon. Yeah, it definitely gets the company out there as well. So how did you pick the topic of build versus buy? And how, yeah, like, how did you narrow in on that? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So if you're looking at applying to a conference, they will normally announce a CFP, so a call for proposals. And in that, they typically will list a bunch of themes. And so I think most people will pick a topic that they care about and then they'll shop it around to conferences. I went the other way around and I took the themes and I developed a talk for the themes. So... You can do both, right? Like you have this SDK generation talk. You can go figure out which conference has a theme that fits that and then apply. Or you can apply for like the miscellany track or, you know, maybe go find an API or SDK conference, right? That would make the most sense for it. But the challenge with that is now you're going to be up against a bunch of API SDK generation talks. And so for me, I, you know, my build versus buy talk was more specifically i was trying to do build versus buy on rails and why rails is like specifically helpful for going the build route and there was a theme at RailsConf this year on switching like switching costs or switching from a to b or migrations things like that and it didn't end up being in that track but that's kind of how i pitched it and I'm actually not sure technically what track it ended up in but i found that it's helpful to go backwards from there especially if you're not sure what to talk about. Totally. Yeah, I think uh, build versus buy is like a really valuable, it's like, it's valuable no matter what language or ecosystem you're in. And so it was, it, I like that you, yeah, put a spin on it that was like Rails specific too. And we're able to speak to the tools that you were using inside of Rails that helped you with your decision. So that was cool. Yeah, Did RubyConf have like a list of themes? They did. I don't remember what they were. But you already had a sense of like what you wanted to talk about or like I'm sure you have a list of potential talks. Yeah, so that's what I was going to mention was that for for a lot of folks that I know, they will build several different talks. Maybe they'll have like three talks that they go and give and they're going to give those for the next 18 months and then they will craft CFPs that will sort of just be like a small bend on 
the like t- or like a different take or a different angle on the talk that they've already got canned. And right. so Swix, so yeah, if you find Swix on Twitter, he's got a whole process where he'll like really quickly submit to just tons and tons of conferences by this. Um, but yeah, I, I've had this idea in the back of my head about talking about these, this SDK generation stuff. And so I've actually submitted a similar talk to like a Go conference, like GopherCon, mm-hmm. and it didn't get picked up. And I've, in fact, I've like submitted this same talk to like a bunch of conferences and no, it was never picked up by any of them. So I was excited when it was finally picked up by, by RubyCon. And yeah, so here were the different themes, hidden gems, giving back with Ruby, bringing your backgrounds with you off the beaten path and navigating systems change. And I think I tried to categorize this one as like off the beaten path because it is like a weird thing that we're doing. So nice. Well, and I would say you also don't have to do a talk that's super technical, like especially if you want to get your feet wet with your first talk and you, I'm going to just say like there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes up when submitting a talk, when writing a talk. At RailsConf, there were a lot of really great talks about developer happiness, wellness, productivity, the kind of quote unquote, I would like soft skills, but they're like just as important, Mm -hmm. right? That makes us an engineer, right? Thinking about what we're doing when we're not coding or, you know, taking care of our tools and and all of that. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, you know, folks who are doing like literal Ruby archaeology. We'll link we'll link to to Schwad's talk in, in here as well on that, where it's like he's trying to replicate what Ruby and Rails looked like back in 2011 on a, you know, uh DigitalOcean server running the same versions of everything back then and seeing what what was there. It's like that doesn't have to be what your first talk is. Mm-hmm. Right. If there's something that you're really interested in, something you're excited about, or maybe that you uniquely just know a lot about, maybe you went super deep on something that was really meant to just be a paragraph in some doc somewhere, but you know way more than that, then that's like a great place to start looking for your topic. Um, typically, when you submit, what kinds of things do you have to submit for your talk to be considered? Yeah. So everywhere is a little bit different, but the the main the main piece of this is called an abstract. And I think usually this is also what ends up in sort of like the the schedule or the pamphlet or whatever that goes out to attendees. And also is what sort of attracts people to attend the conference in the first place. And so your abstract is like a short, it's not tweet length, but it's it's a short description of what someone would get out of the talk when they come to it. And usually that's like where a lot of folks focus their efforts when they're trying to craft one of these submissions. But you might also have more detailed descriptions and more detailed outlines that would cover like, okay, here's an actual like bulleted list of all the topics I'm going to cover with like an estimate of how long each one's going to take and the, you know, what attendees can expect to know after watching the talk. And Mm -hmm. oftentimes they're usually like anonymized too. So they ask like, please don't, you know, add any information that would identify you or your company or whatever as part of the submission details. And then there'll be like another section that's like, what is your your bio, your like speaker bio? Where then you can say like, oh, you know, here's why I'm qualified to to give this talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even in that blind selection, you know, they'll usually ask like, what's your speaking experience? And I don't think that they're necessarily looking for you to be a pro speaker. They just want to know like, how much help you might need because some conferences are really good at giving you support through this process. Like 
with RailsConf, I was invited to a Slack channel with the other speakers. People, you know, would have conversations in there about, you know, slide questions, format, right? There's all these little technical things that you got to get down. Is there going to be a monitor to see your slides on? Is Are you going to have a remote to click through? Do you need to bring those things yourself if you rely on those things? So like, there is a little bit of support there, but even in that, like how much experience do you have? You don't necessarily want to disclose who you are, which I actually think allows more new speakers to get into, into the, the market, the business, the whatever, <laughs> right? Like yeah. more people to get into the circuit, the speaker circuit, because it can be obvious. Like you said, someone shops around the same talk to all these conferences. You might see the same kinds of names popping up at, at, at conferences everywhere. And when they do a blind selection, they're picking based on the topic, not by, by the person. Yeah. And they're definitely like I've run events. They're definitely thinking about what's going to get people to buy a ticket to this conference. In addition to some rounding out of themes and like beginner, intermediate, advanced type themes as well, so that you can have folks new to Rails going to RailsConf having talks that they can feel really comfortable in. And then maybe you've got those intermediate and advanced ones where they they'll go and they now see like what they can kind of reach for or, or grow towards. Yeah, totally. I think the, the fact that it's blind and like, no, and actually just knowing that the abstract is going to be used in order to sort of sell tickets, that also is a good motivation for you to be like, okay, how can I make this abstract really interesting and like exciting instead of being like, you know, how to do for loops in Ruby or something like that. Right. You can make it really fancy. Like, spin yourself around on a, you know, like on a Ferris wheel and like, let's go for a trip to learn about how to loop through the universe with blah, blah, blah. It's like, you really, really got it. It's like a sales pitch, right? Like yeah. for people to come. Um, That's a very Ruby, like or Ruby and Rails. I feel like that a lot of the talks have a lot of fun in their either titles or their abstracts. I'm blanking on who, who I can think of, but there was like a, how GitHub builds GitHub using GitHub talk. Yeah. This was like in 2011 or something that was just like, that one stands out to me. I think like some tips here for writing that abstract is I would check out a website called speakerline.io. It's where anyone can submit their abstracts and their descriptions, and then they note whether or not it was accepted or not. And then that way, it's a little bit of a, there's a bias, like confirmation bias in that like, this is what I did and it got accepted. It doesn't necessarily mean that's going to work for you. But what I did was I read through a bunch of speaker lines, kind of got a sense of like what a lot of the accepted ones kind of do. Like the description and the outline needs to follow an arc, a story, like a beginning, middle and end. And remember, you only have a certain amount of time for your talk. So if it's a 30 minute talk, you can't shove every single thing into it. And you need to think about what your takeaways are going to be. And then I would watch past talks from the conference that you're applying to just to see like what, not again, the topic content, but like what do a lot of the talks feel like and mm -hmm. try to go backwards from there. So taking the theme, the past talks, the speaker lines, and then like those components of the CFP and you're making a sales pitch for yourself at that point. Yeah, totally. I think the other, there's a bunch of other resources too for reviewing CFPs. And so I think for, all, I like submitted tons and tons of talk submissions and like almost all of them were rejected or denied. And so like, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, why is no one, why is no one picking this up? And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but I would say, I think this talk that was accepted, part of the reason why it was accepted was that I had a lot of people look at it with me and give me feedback and help me like craft it. And so yeah. 
it was definitely like when I was on my own, I was missing certain things. So in the same way that you might have someone review a resume before you send it in to apply to a job, you, it's, it can be helpful to have other people look at your stuff and make sure that it looks nice and tight before you send it out. Totally. And along those lines, WNBRB, they have like a pretty amazing crew of people who will review your talk. So if you're part of that group, they've got like Slack channels and everything to help review each other's talk proposals. So did you, did you have anyone look at yours before you submitted to RailsConf? Yeah, we have like a little informal process of like, I'll share in our Slack, like, hey, the CFP's open if anyone wants to submit. And so then like a few of us pulled together some some CFPs and we, what I think I did first was I like had really, really short like one-liners and I was like, which one of these things would you go to? And then mm-hmm. whichever one they voted on most was the one that I focused on writing out more. And nice. then just did a Google Doc on that and then had people comment on that and i think that definitely helped because my original talk idea was a little bit more it was like how developers develop themselves or something like that it was like a little bit too it was good talk i thought but like more for like a developer wellness conference than a than like it wasn't rail specific right so that one would have been a little bit harder um than, than something that had rails in it but yes when you do that do you just do a google doc or is it one of yep. these other tools. Yeah, Google Doc and then ask people for comments. We actually do this also with like all of our other content. And in the previous episode of Build and Learn here, if you go back to buildandlearn.dev slash nine, maybe slash 10, we talk about doing or like creating content for developers. And so this is actually like another form of content for developers is mm-hmm. giving some talk like, or, or like, yeah, submitting to a conference and then also giving the talk. And so, yeah, for a lot of, or for all of the other formats of content that we create for developers, we also have the whole team kind of jump in and try to share feedback. And it's, it's really because, um, everyone on the team has a unique perspective and a lot of unique experience that they can bring and be like, Oh, Hey, have you heard of this library that's related to this talk that you're giving? Or have you seen this weird, funny meme about it? Or yeah. So that's it's it's a really valuable workflow and we actually use google docs for people to come and comment on the content and then we use jira and inside of jira for each piece of content if someone reviews it and gives you feedback they mark themselves as reviewers and we reward and yeah like people will get credit for all of the things that they've reviewed also not just the stuff that they've created so right there's people on the team who just give tons and tons of feedback and review and edit and help people it takes takes a lot of work Totally, totally. It's like reviewing yeah. pull requests, right? Like... Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like kind of the same weight that we would yeah. give to someone for reviewing a PR. They can instead review a talk. Nice. Yeah, yeah. so episode nine, so buildandlearn.dev slash nine, you can check that out. Does Is creating other developer content, does that, have you found that it's helped you in this process of applying this to talks? Like you're already writing scripts for YouTube videos and things like that, so like, when it comes time and we can always do another episode on like, okay, your talk has been accepted. Now what do you do? Mm-hmm. But like, has it helped you in writing the CFP or, you know, because most of these are blind selection, I assume that like, you know, being known on the Stripe docs videos is probably not necessarily getting you through here. As, as you mentioned, you've been denied plenty of times, but like, yeah. has that helped? So I think it is, it's helped a little bit for the past couple of years. I focused a lot on video and I 
was maybe writing an intro script, outro script, and sometimes I would write a script, but most of the time I was just kind of riffing or, you know, to use a bulleted outline and go through and just build stuff. The thing that I've, I think has helped the most is this year I've been super intentional about trying to improve my writing and like doing more articles and blog posts and even like tweeting more and, you know, doing shorter form LinkedIn posts and things. And I read this book and if you haven't seen, I would, I like super highly recommend this. It's called On Writing Well. And we can link to it in the show notes, but it is really, really excellent in terms of being concise, getting your point across, and it it has a lot of tips and tricks for basically just nonfiction writing. So this is yeah, different than know. Stephen King's on writing. Yes, different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, also highly recommended. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more fictional based. I think. Yeah, this one is from William Zinser. Zinser. Nice. All right. Yeah. We'll include a link to that. Awesome. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, like, you know, you've submitted a lot of talks. They haven't all been accepted. I think that experience was a little bit harrowing for me. It's like, I literally did the whole, like, get feedback from my, you know, colleagues, from friends. And then I just decided I wasn't going to submit. And oh, really? Yeah. Like at the 11th hour, I like, I think I got an email or a tweet that was like, submissions close in an hour and what's cool on the rails cfp (laughs) thing is they show you a graph of submissions over time which is like kind of daunting as well where it's like okay no one's really submitted yet and i'm like oh this is easy no one's hardly submitted and by the admit by the deadline like you everyone is crafting and perfecting their pitch everyone just is submitting at the last minute and so i was like you know like you know getting that rejection and we say denied or rejected all these things like it can feel a little bit harsh even though they don't know who you are and all of that and so i was like you know what i don't think this is a good enough talk and i just wasn't going to submit it and i think it was like literally the the, within the last hour i was just like you know i'll push the button worst they can do is say no Mm -hmm. um and then you just wait once you submit you wait and eventually you'll get an email whether or not it was accepted or rejected Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny to look at the chart now. There, it's just like you know, little, little. Like some people are obviously like procrastinators. As soon as the CFP yeah. opens, they submit, and then there's a couple throughout, and then a giant spike, like <laughs> in the last day, right before submissions close. Okay, so you you were considering not submitting. Was that do you think it was like a imposter syndrome thing, or like you weren't super pumped about the actual talk? No, I was definitely excited about the talk, but it, it was kind of like, like I will say as much as we just said, like watch a bunch of talks, check out speaker line. Like the more you do that, you start to think like, am I this person? Like, am I as good to be on this list of speakers and things like that? So it was a little bit of imposter syndrome. You know, I knew that I could talk about the content. The problem was that like the CFP doesn't capture, you know, not being identified as to who you are or like your experience and all that kind of stuff it's really easy to see that like, are they going to fully understand what I'm pitching here anonymously? Because it wasn't the full talk. It's like mm-hmm. a bulleted list at best that I think was, I'd actually should go back and see what how different the talk turned out from the outline. Mm-hmm. But the abstract was pretty close. That was what ended up in the in the website, like you mentioned. So that didn't really change. But yeah, it was just probably nerves, and imposter syndrome this was like like you said we've done a bunch of talks at meetups meetups feel pretty low stakes so like yeah if you want to get practice at this like take your talk to a meetup and get feedback on it there i didn't do that with this one but i've done 
lots of meetup talks, lots of Ignite talks, which are like mm-hmm. very like stand up y and like off the cuff type of talks. Mm-hmm. And and then this one, oh, and I you know submitted at the last minute, thinking there's nothing, no way this is going to get approved, and it actually got accepted. And so this yeah. was my my first CFP submission, which I think is not going to be what most people experience. Like yeah. your first one, probably is not going to get approved. But yeah, it was a good experience for me. <laughs> yeah, I I was I mean I enjoyed the talk, and I I thought you were like more than qualified to give that exact content. And I thought it was really good. So if you are listening and you haven't seen it, you can, I think you can go online, right? To YouTube. Is it? Yeah, we can put a link on to YouTube? it. We'll do some. Yeah, some, we can link to it. We'll link uh, to it, but I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I'm just saying like that is like, don't let that stop you, but mm-hmm. also don't expect that your first one will be approved, yes. right? Like I need to ap- apply to more to just get that little bit of exposure therapy to being rejected but i've actually found it kind of difficult to find cfps before they close have you found any good ways of doing that or finding cfps in general yeah there is a couple of newsletters that i've received about developer relations and like in the bottom they'll have a block with all the cfps and then there was also i want to say cfp land yeah cfpland.com is another like site where you can just go and search for upcoming proposals. So yeah, it's tough because sometimes a conference will be in nine months from now and their CFP is open now for like a couple months. And then other times the conference will be happening next month and their CFP is just now opening right now. And so it kind of really depends on, I think the maturity of the conference and you know, like how big the conference is and how much time they take to review conference like talk submissions etc etc so yeah it can be it can be kind of like it'll it'll creep up on you basically like if you wanted to go to like let's see so railsconf is in the end of or rubyconf is in the end of november and i think cfps closed in august or something like Mm -hmm. mid-august so that'll give you a kind of a sense for ruby and railsconf but in other yeah in other language or framework communities it's going to be different so um, nice yeah, I had heard that there used to be a CFP email newsletter, and it looks like CFP land might have taken that over. That's super useful. Mostly, like you just said, knowing what is even out there. Like there are some niche conferences that, you know, maybe you build up to as well. Like for me, mm-hmm. jumping straight to RailsConf also feels like the weirdest one. Like yeah. I feel like there are definitely smaller, like regional conferences that I could have like built that up. But again, they don't know who you are. So like, submit right yeah if you don't submit you're not going to even be put in the running for it so definitely do it it helps you build that muscle so i highly recommend it if you're trying to like get really good at a certain topic or even be known as being good in a certain topic it's definitely good for that and it'll definitely make you look good when when you know review cycles and things like that come around too right yeah i was thinking about that like going back to the top of the show i know we bounce around a lot we don't like say super right. focused, but going back to like why you would speak at a conference. Oh, if you're a CTO and you're trying to build your talent brand to hire people who are at the conference, another reason would be to get hired. Like, oh, let go demonstrate your skills so that people want to hire you. So if you maybe you're a junior and you're yeah, like you're looking for um a job and you learn something and you want to share that with people and it's going to demonstrate your skills then you can like go give a talk about it at a meetup or go give a talk about it at a regional conference and 
that'll be recorded and put online. And that really helps improve your, your dev brand. And it kind of also like helps you skip certain interview stages because you're not going in as like a completely unknown quantity. If the hiring manager has watched your talk about whatever concept that you've presented on before, especially if you want to get into developer advocacy, I've seen a lot of people asking like, oh, how do I get into advocacy? How do I get into DevRel? It's like, well, you can kind of go and create content on your own and then that will speak for itself. And right, there's often, no gatekeeping around that. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, I, when we're interviewing or looking at candidates for advocacy positions, I definitely like will go and look at their Twitter. I'll go look at their previous talks. I'll go look at their YouTube channels, et cetera. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's... It could be a, a way that you get a job, basically. Totally. Yeah, there, I've been listening to this podcast called Staff Eng, like for staff engineer type content. And then they have a whole website called staffeng.com. But they talk a lot about like having a brag sheet. And this is like that thing where maybe it's not the actual resume, but it's the list of things that you use to either make the case for a promotion or getting hired at a new company or... Maybe when you do give a talk and they ask for your bio, you now have things to pull from. So that can be super helpful. And honestly, like one line link to YouTube talk replaces like a whole paragraph on your resume. Like that is great. Mm -hmm. You can just link to that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Cool. Thanks for listening to Build and Learn. In the next episode, we're going to talk about getting hired. We're going to talk about engineering levels. And we really want you to tune in if you're thinking about starting your next developer role. As always, you can head over to buildandlearn.dev to check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode, folks. We'll see you next time. Bye, friends.